Okay, guys, we have a great show for you this week. Delighted to be joined by John O'Sullivan. John is founder of the Changing the Game Project. So this is an organization that's dedicated to educating parents and coaches. And they're trying to shift the paradigm of youth sports to a more positive, child-centered experience. On the show today, John talks about how we as coaches can engage parents in what we do. He talks about how play, the play practice play model works and how coaches can influence if it is a positive experience or not for the kids. Can't recommend this one enough, guys. Loads of practical takeaways for any coaches working with kids. As always, appreciate you listening. Enjoy. Okay, delighted to be joined by John O'Sullivan. Uh, John has worked with a huge amount of bodies right across the world. The US Olympic Committee, US Soccer, USA Wrestling, Ireland Rugby, Australian Rugby League, to name just a few. Uh, So John, thanks a million for coming on. We're delighted to have you. Um, You are going to kick off with a, a project that you founded back in 2012, the Changing the Game Project. So maybe you could talk us through what exactly that is. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks guys for having me on. It's always great to be able to share the work that I do and and share sort of some of the things that I've learned from so many uh, amazing coaches and people um, in in places that I love. And and certainly um, Ireland is is one of them. So thank you guys so much. Um, So yeah, I I started uh, Change the Game Project in 2012, and this was after kind of a, a long stint as uh, a coach um, at sort of every level, right? I'd coached my kids when they were five, and I'd coached, you know, university level and, um, and you know, older 20, you know, mid-20s, 30-year-olds in the Women's Premier Soccer League and everywhere in between. And uh, I really felt like what was missing was sort of like, where where was a place where people could go and get trusted information about sport whether they were a parent whether they were a coach uh, whether they were an athlete like what works and and so I decided to write this book back then uh, called changing the game for parents and then I realized pretty quickly that um, it's actually not that hard to write a book it's really hard to uh, sell a book (laughs) and so (laughs) and so I um, started a blog around it and, and, you know, I, I love to do research. And so when I was writing these blog posts, I was reading the original research and linking to it. And what happened was all of a sudden these sport governing bodies said, hey, thanks, we can use this, we can share this. And so quite unintentionally, um, the blog really took off. It led to a TED Talk that three years ago, we started a podcast called Way of Champions. And um, yeah, now it's it's led to, I just published my second book, called every moment matters for coaches and um, it's it's really been just an amazing journey of um, meeting incredible people sharing this message learning from other people and just trying to become a place where someone can get information from and and trust that this information is vetted and I didn't just like get out of bed and make it up and and then send it out to the world Okay, that's it's really interesting, and for I'd encourage anyone listening to 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 check it out. Uh, I spent a good few hours now the last week browsing through. Um, could you maybe talk through some of the key messages that you that you try and get across through through the project and and indeed through your books as well? Uh, so you talk an awful lot about uh, a player centered environment. Maybe we could touch on that. Yeah, I mean that's always what I come back to is who's this supposed to be about, 
and isn't it supposed to be about the athlete and then maybe bigger picture than that isn't it supposed to be about the human being who is in front of us who just happens to be playing a sport and isn't our job to develop that whole person through sport and to teach not just sports skills but life skills and intentionally develop character and all that and so it's a different way of coaching than what we would call a coach centric approach, which is a very commanding style and a telling people do this now, because this will get me my results immediately, versus coaching in a way that asks questions and draws the answers out and looks at children as, you know, these, these, you know, not empty vessels needing to be filled as Horstveen says, you know, and, but they have so much in them. Can we draw it out of them? Can we get them to think about the game? Can we get them to think about development? Can we get them to take ownership? And, and probably first and foremost, then do it all in an environment that's enjoyable and, and they want to come back to. And if they want to come back and they enjoy the heck out of it, then they're going to get better. And the ones who have the motivation and the genetics and the a right environment to truly excel at the high performance level, which is a tiny percentage, they're going to be just fine. But too many kids we drive out of sports because it's not about them far too young before they even have a chance to, to blossom or get anything. Okay. And so are you talking about when you say youth sports? So um, I just want to make sure we're on the same terminology over here. So do you mean in the teenage years? And if so, are you talking about making an impact on trying to change how coaches act at those age groups? Or are you talking younger before it even gets to that stage? Well, so, yeah, so it's a great question. Um, certainly here in the States, people, you know, usually think of sort of sports as like youth sports, high school sports, which would be sort of 14 to 18 college sports or university sports and, and professional sports. I tend to wrap it all in of sort of 18 and under sports would be for me kind of youth sports, right. Uh, of like, you know, the kids in what we would call developmental stages uh, of sport, they're still learning their sport, they're developing, they're growing physically, mentally, emotionally, socially. Um, to me, that is, um, that's how I characterize that. Now, what I do think is that um, coaches in the high performance realm are, are, are very well served. Um, but in what we might call grassroots or, or sort of, you know, young kids 12 and under sports, where, um, you know, oftentimes those coaches are volunteers. Uh, those are the coaches that need a lot more resources and a lot more, I think, help of um, how do I coach and how do I engage these kids? And oftentimes they get the least amount of resources. So we dedicate a lot of our time to trying to help the moms and the dads that, you know, volunteer and maybe they're just there for three months, but if we can really pour into them, then maybe they'll come back and maybe they'll coach other sports. And those are so many kids first point of contact with sport. And we, we can't, we, we too often overlook um, the education of those coaches. Yeah, I think it's a really good point because if we don't, it, it, as you said, if that's their first point of contact and we're not providing that positive experience, how do we expect the kids then to, to continue on? Um, I'm curious, on what type of, uh, of work would you do with the coaches then who don't have that much experience uh, 
maybe they didn't play sport themselves maybe they dropped out of sport maybe they have a negative implication or negative thoughts around sport but want to get involved to help their own children or, or, or others so how do you start off with them or, or what happens in terms of your own process there well i think first and foremost the way that traditionally we start off with those coaches is we if we get them to come to sort of some coaching certification we spend a lot of time on practice structure and technical and tactical things and, and there's nothing wrong with that that's great um, but i often think about in, in, in most sports if i asked you know a sport governing body could you send the eight best training sessions to some kids playing football, some kids playing hurling, some kids playing rugby, swimmers, golfers, whatever, like what should they work on? Um, you know, if, if I was a coach, what would be a great session to run, uh, you know, a couple times in a season, they could do that. So should we be spending all of our time during that coaching certification on something that we can email to someone and say, Hey, just run this. And instead can we use that time to understand who's in front of me, right? What are the social and emotional needs of a six-year-old? Because they're very different than a 16-year-old. They're very different than a 26-year-old. And so oftentimes that mom or dad who volunteers, they um, they don't know, like their last experience of sport maybe it was when they were 18. So that's what they think of. Right. And so, you know, you, you go out there to the field and there's a group of seven year olds and what's the coach doing. They're running laps. They're doing a warm up, And I'm like, you know, kids don't warm up for recess, right. Yeah. They just go play. So they don't need a warm up at, at that stage. Um, and, and guess what? Like the scrimmage isn't, you know, the, the game at the end, that's not a reward that we might get to. That's why they signed up in the first place. And so I think as we can teach, if we can teach our coaches, why did these kids sign up here? What do they want from you? What are the qualities of a great coach? That's what we should be teaching them in their hour. That's what we should be giving them information on. And then we can say, and by the way, run this practice um, because the game's a pretty good teacher as well. Okay, so what you're talking about there is maybe you giving them the what as in that the, the what they are actually to coach or how they're to, the, the, what the drills or the games or whatever it might be that's the, that's the easy bit but you're talking about more the how than how to coach skills those those maybe the softer skills yeah how how to communicate right think about you know coaching a, a six-year-old and and sometimes just taking a knee and looking at them eye to eye versus towering over them um, what a difference that makes, how are you going to communicate with them? If you sub a kid out, right. Being there at the, you know, midfield to slap him or her a high five when they walk off the field, um, things, things like that, just little things that, that make a difference, um, with that kid. And, and again, I'm not saying that all the technical stuff doesn't matter because of course it does. But uh, again, I've coached 26 year olds who are, you know, pros and I've coached six year olds. And I think coaching six year olds is way harder. <laughs> like that's, that's, that's challenging, right? You have 10 kids out there and they are all different levels of attention span and desire to be there. And, you know, the parents have just like, you know, given them a bunch of sugar in the car on the way to practice. <laughs> and um, you're trying to teach them something 
Um, and, and, you know, these three kids can do it and these three kids can't, and these three kids don't even want to be there. And this other kid is throwing a tantrum. That's really hard. Right. And, and yet, and, and, and yet those are our least experienced coaches who get thrown in that situation. Yeah. So uh, my next question is now is how do we deal with those 10 kids with the one having a tantrum and, uh, the varying levels of skill development? Would you have any practical tips that you would maybe try and instill? Um, you know, I, I don't know exactly, you know, from your audience of what sport they focus on mostly, and, and maybe it's a variety. What, I, what I'd say um, from, let's call it invasion games, right? So the hurlings and the Gaelic and the rugby's and soccer's and hockey's and all these sort of things. I think with young kids, I love, I think the most important thing you can do is, is play, practice, play. So show up and let them play a game right? Get there early, set up your, your field, two small fields, whatever it is. As soon as there's two kids there, it's a 1v1, right? Give one kid a bid, then two aside, then three aside. Then as soon as there's four, right now it's two games of two against two, you know? Um, and, and just like you, you, you just let them play and let that play bleed into the first 10 minutes of practice, 15 minutes of practice. And let them play. And you can talk about maybe what your topic is, but then break it down, right, into one activity, maybe a second activity that you might be wanting to teach that day, and then play again at the end. And because what that does is, number one, I think as anyone who's coached young kids knows, right, if you try to do an activity right out the gate that requires explanation, what happens every time a kid shows up late? You end up having to re-explain, this is what we're trying to do. And you never do the activity because you're just telling the next kid to get there. Number two, again, they just got a bunch of, they've just been sitting in school all day. They, they've got a bunch of sugar in the car. They just want to run around and play. And so if you let them show up and play, they come running across the parking lot. They're excited to be there. They're thrilled that um, you know they get to run around because this is why they signed up. And, and then after that initial sort of energy gets out, now you break it down, you can teach them and you can do an activity and you can explain stuff, but everyone's there. And so you only have to explain it once or twice. Um, and then you play again at the end. And so I think this is the one piece of advice that anyone working on the grassroots level, um, 12 and under where they don't really need some crazy warm up before they start, just let them play first, then yeah. teach them something and let them play at the end. And I think if more coaches did that, they'd enjoy it more. Um, and, and, and now the kids, you know, are like, mom, dad, come on, get me to practice, get me to training. Yeah. I think it's a really, really practical tip that, that, that like, if you start with a game, that's what the majority of them want to do straight away. So if you're starting there, they're going to be excited and want to be there on time. Um, yeah, I mean, did you guys, when you guys played sports, did you sign up? Like, God, I hope we do a walkthrough today, right? <laughs> no, exactly, yeah, no. No, it's, it makes total sense, and you explain it very well. Uh, and I, I just, I really like the practical element of it by starting with a game, because that just makes sense. Get them there, they'll be excited to be there. They're all tuned in, and maybe that little bit of giddiness that has gone out of them after that initial 10 minutes or so, and it's a lot easier to get their attention and stuff. And, so. and if the game's a cracking game, and everyone's flying around and having fun, just keep keep going right like there's not even any reason to stop at that point just keep it going 
Yeah, just let them play. I think that's a powerful let message. Them play. Yeah. yeah. Um, a couple of times now you re- you referred to parents uh, and and the parents' involvement, and I know it's um it, it's in the title of your first book. Um, how do you approach parental involvement? I suppose there's two aspects to my question. One about maybe potentially involving them in the coaching or trying to get them involved in, in grassroots coaching, but two maybe the parents who aren't involved in coaching is do you have any specific way in terms of how you engage with them as you go as they go through yeah uh well i think first of all what you what you said the one of the last words you use there is really important that it's not dealing with parents it's engaging with parents 99 percent of parents are great they want to help their kids sometimes they love their kids in unhelpful ways but they usually have the best intentions in mind and, and so one, one of my favorite signs that I've ever seen at a field, it says, um, before you complain, have you volunteered, right? So yeah, so if you're going to complain about stuff, by all means, we need more officials, we need more referees, we need more coaches, we need someone to line the fields and set up the goals. So getting them to engage that way. But I think more importantly, and I don't think I, I realized this until I had my own kids that that trust is about more than just your ability as a coach. This is my son. This is my daughter. This is the most important person to me in the world, really. Um, And I am giving you the privilege or the honor or, you know, of, of, of being his caretaker for a little bit as a coach. Um, So the idea that a parent in that situation doesn't, have any opportunity to talk to that coach, have any opportunity to get feedback on what his son or uh, her daughter is, is doing, to me makes no sense. You know, like in school, if your kid's struggling at math, if you send a note to the math teacher about, hey, how can we help my son? The math teacher doesn't go, how dare you contact me? Um, you are not even allowed to speak to me and um, I'm not even going to talk to you like that would be crazy. But we do this in sport a lot. Now, there's also needs to be sort of clear boundaries with parents of what's appropriate to talk about. When's it appropriate to have these conversations? It's not in the parking lot after a tough game, right? It's not when we're emotional. Um, we don't talk about other people's kids. Uh, we don't talk about tactics or formation or things like that because that's a coaching thing and, and you're here as a parent. But in my experience of you know 27 years of coaching now, what I've found is that um, when I reach out to parents and I, I open the door to conversations and also close the door to certain conversations or at certain times – that I learn a lot about my kids and I end up having great parent groups that are very supportive of what I'm trying to do. But if I close that door, then you get your legs cut out from under you as a coach and parents are the most influential person in the kid's life. So you really want them backing your message and, and not undercutting it. And the only way to do that is to engage your parents and to teach them and to, um, get them to really, you know, be your ally and not your adversary. And 
look I, t- I couldn't agree more i think everything you said makes perfect sense i, I love that quote about uh, some parents love their kids with in, in un- un- unhelpful ways i think that's uh, really really relevant and uh, i think everyone could relate to that how practically then do you engage them as in is it a case where you bring them all together at the start do you talk to them one-on-one or is it maybe not as formal as that it's just an ongoing process i think it's both right i think you should always start with a meeting of your expectations and your philosophy and you put that in writing and you tell it to them and 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 things like that and and be a human being right you build trust, you build connection. But I also think ongoing, you're giving them feedback. So, you know, sometimes when I worked with really young kids, right before a game, right before a match would start, I'd run over and I'd call the parents in and be like, hey, this is what we're working on and training this week. Um, So when you see it, cheer for it, right? See it. Like we're trying to learn to play out of the back and it's going to be hard. So please don't yell, boot it or kick it, right? And and when you see a kid try to connect a pass and, and mess it up, um, it's okay, because that's what we're working on. And so I've engaged them that way, invite them into a post game conversation once in a while of uh, this is what this is all about. I try to send during the season sort of every two weeks, uh, you know, state of the union, this is what we've been working on, this is how we've been doing. Um, to the team. And then I always try to pick out a few kids each week and and give them something personal. So if a kid is really struggling, I might say, I might send, you know, a a note through his parents through our team communication tool that says for Steven. And so now I know the parents are reading it and say, you know, make sure Steven reads this and, and then send him a couple of words of, you know, Hey, this is what you mean to this team. I see that you're struggling with this. Um, maybe if you think about this, this will help. Um, keep up the good work. You're a valuable member of the group. And, and just by doing that individual communication to the kid through the parent, what you're telling the parents is, hey, I see your son or I see your daughter. Um, I'm aware that this might be going on. And that opens the door for them to say, hey, just so you know, um, he's really been having a lot of problems in school or, you know, he's really been struggling a lot. You know, he, he's, he's, his knees hurt and he didn't want to tell you, whatever. And so the more you can let parents know that you see their individual child, the more they're likely to give you helpful information to coach that child. John, everything you just said makes perfect sense to me uh, in terms of uh, how we engage with parents and, and bringing them along and engaging them. Um, I suppose I'm curious, did you ever get parents challenging you? And, and if they do challenge, uh, how do you deal with that? Yeah, d- definitely. Um, you know, in my last book, I talked about an interview we did with a guy named Dr. Jim Taylor. He's a very well-known sports psychologist. And, you know, he said in 30 years of working with Olympic athletes, um, here's what he's learned. All those parents love their kids. All of them at some time or another have kind of screwed up out of love for their kids and a very small percentage of them are mentally ill. Right. <laughs> and, and I think that's like super funny, um, but, but super true. And so for those of us who coach, if you're in the trenches long enough, you are going to come across some parents who just don't get it. And I, I think 
you know, that's, that's okay. Don't take it personally. Cause everyone has, has done that. You know, I have a friend who is an international for the United States and, um, you know, fantastic player for, for many years on the U S national team. And, um, he went back and coached his, his nine-year-old son as a volunteer and three parents were complaining about, you know, well, why are we doing this in practice and why aren't we playing in this event or that event on the weekend? You're, you don't know what you're doing. And I'm like, you know, this guy's been like, you know, playing in world cup qualifiers and, and you've never kicked a ball in your life. Right. So, you know, I, I've always thought about that as like this moment where I'm like, you know what, like, if he's going to get it, I'm going to get it. And I mean, I, I usually keep the the funny complaint letters just to laugh. I mean, I had a parent a couple of years ago who wrote a letter to my coaching director and my club whose daughter was on my team. And, and this was an actual quote from the letter. All they're doing in practice is learning how to play the game. And I was like, guilty as charged. That's what we're doing. <laughs> that was right. the complaint. That was the complaint that that's what we're doing. All we're doing is learning to play the game. And what was the, what was, <laughs> why was this parent complaining about this? Because her, you know, her daughter and others couldn't trap a ball or pass a ball. And, and what we were doing in practice was um, not isolated technical training, but you know, rondos and small games and helping them understand positioning along with developing technique. And in her mind as a, you know, um, person who's never kicked the ball in her life, that was completely wrong. Um, you know, and, and so I just don't, you know, it's like one of those things, like at that point I just laugh and I'm like, yes, that's me. That's what we do in practice because that's what I believe in. And you can go someplace else and sign your kid up someplace else, um, but we're not holding your, you know, you know the, the, there's a lot of thought that goes into how we do things here. And so I just encourage coaches like, look, don't take it personally uh, when someone does that, even though it's hard not to. And, and just, you know, as long as you know that the way that you're coaching is based in sound principles and you're doing the right things and you're, you're, you're sticking to your values and, and treating kids well, don't be offended when, when some people, it, it doesn't fit. Can, can I, can I throw on another great story? Cause this is one oh, of my can, yeah, stories. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's an airline in, in, in the U S called Southwest airlines and it's a discount airline, but, um, it's the only airline in existence that has actually like made a profit every year of its existence. I'm not sure 2020 will be the same, but that's not really a fair comparison, but like, you know, and, and this is a values based airline. And one of the things in Southwest is the pilots are always telling jokes and the flight attendants are telling jokes and they're always doing funny things. Right. And, and that's what they stand for is like, Hey, our people, our employees, we have to treat them well. They have to have a great time. Um, and if they do that, then our customers will have a great time. So anyway, they had this one lady who used to always write these complaint letters and she'd complain why they're nuts and why isn't their first class and um, why don't I get to pick my seat ahead of time and all these different things. And they'd answer. So one day she writes and she says, I don't think the flight attendants should tell jokes. I don't think it's appropriate that people tell jokes. You need to stop that. And they didn't know how to deal with this. They didn't know how to answer that. And so um, 
the letter got passed up, passed up, and it eventually went to Herb Kelleher, who was the CEO. And he looked at the letter. He said, oh, guys, I got that. No problem. And he writes back, dear Miss Smith, we'll miss you, Herb. <laughs> Very good. Right? Because this is who we are. This is how we do things. And maybe it's not a good fit for you. And that's okay. Right? And, and so this is why I think as coaches, if we, if we, Per, you know, if we work on our craft and we're always learning and we're building sessions and coaching the right way and we're treating people the right way, people will still complain. And that's at to a point when they cross the line too many times when you go up to them and say, you know what, we'll miss you. Maybe this isn't a good fit for you and we'll promote you to the neighboring organization. Um, and, and great organizations do that. Um, and, and what happens usually when that parent moves on is the next day you'll get 10 emails from the people on your team. And you know what they'll say? Thank Thanks. you. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for that. Right. So, so um, yeah, you it's know, funny. Um, yeah. Chris van der Hagen of the, the coach educator for Belgium soccer. He talks, he tells a very similar story about when they sort of reinvented how they were doing things in, in youth soccer in, in Belgium um and it, it took a while to embed new nobody likes change and and it took a while to embed but he said after a while it was a case in his own club where they just had to say thanks but no thanks and and see you later type thing it, very similar to what you just said um so i, I think there's a, there's a commonality there yeah change is hard change is hard and chris and i have had many conversations uh, about this right about this very subject and and why um you know, they do it. But again, that's why you can't just make random change just for the sake of changing, right? Belgium looked really hard at, again, who's, who's the child? What does she need? What does he need? Let's pour into that. Let's build programs based on, you know, they say in Belgium, the only thing that changes is the side of the shirt, but it's all the size of the shirt, but it's always about pouring into the needs of the kid and 2v2 dribbling soccer was about the needs of the child. Right, not about the needs of the adult to see some mini version of the full game. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's really powerful. Um, uh, he's and he's a great presenter as well. He, he really he really sells the message well. Um, I just want to move on. Uh, so everything you've talked about in terms of that player centered environment and and the parents engaging the parents and and getting the as much value out of of, of everyone as possible in in that while catering for the needs of, of those children and you talk um a lot about uh, creating that positive sporting environment i suppose this overarching concept that you try to tr try and strive for and you talk about uh, that they're not only becoming better at sport that they're becoming better people they're reaching their potential at their own pace and they're learning various life lessons uh, along the way would you maybe go into that in a little bit more depth for us yeah i so one of the really interesting things, and I think it's a misconception, there's a sports sociologist I know named Jay Coakley, and he, he writes about this, is that we have this false assumption that sport is fundamentally good, right? And, mm -hmm. and so just by merely signing people up for sport, good things happen. But sport is neither fundamentally good nor fundamentally evil it just is it is made into a force for good by intentional coaches and intentional organizations who use it for this higher purpose 
and it's made into something that is not good by transactional people who use it for, you know, self gain. And so I think this is what is really, really important that as a, as a coach, I influence whether sport is going to be a good experience and I have to be intentional about it. It's not something that's going to happen on its own. It's going to happen if I weave in character lessons, if I look at all these opportunities that sport gives of, you know, highs and lows and, and times of pride and times of insight and times of connection if I can be mindful of those moments, I can use them to teach. And if I do that, then I'm going to develop character. I'm going to develop resilience. Um, I'm going to make it about the kids and, and make this something more than just a transactional relationship. Now, I recognize, you know, certainly in a country like Ireland, in a country like the U.S., where kids have a lot of choices in sport. And so, you know, if a, if a kid that I've coached chooses that coach, you know what, this has been great, but, you know, I'm one of the top, you know, skiers in the country, I'm going to put my time and effort on that. I'm giving up soccer. I just want to make sure that when they walk away, they say, but God, this is the hardest decision I've ever made because I love this sport. Right. And, and I think these are the type of things that, you know, I'm a better skier because I was on your soccer team and I love this experience. And someday I'm going to jump back and play in an adult league and maybe coach my own kids because this was a great experience. And, and that's what I think is about making sport a positive experience, but it all starts with the adults running it, being intentional about what's supposed to, you know, come out that, you know, at the back end of it. Yeah. And do you think, and I know this is probably a really it's a, it's a difficult question, but when people are listening, and they might be thinking about how they plan out their sessions, and and they talk you talk earlier about the technical and the tactical, and and they're perhaps e more easily learned that um to how to coach those. But do you think that it is doable to plan your sessions out to develop things like character and others that you mentioned there? Oh, for sure. I mean, think about this, right? Like, um you know, if I plan a really hard session with maybe a technical or tactical element that I know the kids are going to struggle with, right? Then I'm also developing resilience. Can we keep working? Can we not get frustrated and give up? But can we, you know, can we do it again? Can we do it again? Can we do it again? Right? So just the, just the game element of it is going to let a character trait like resilience pop up right? Every practice is an opportunity for teaching integrity, because for me, integrity is, did you give your best effort and best 100% focus on that repetition you just did? Did you give your best effort and focus on that play? Did you communicate your best, right? That's integrity, respecting my teammates, right? That I'm prepared and ready to play. I treat them well. Um, I communicate in an effective manner, these are all character traits that will emerge opportunities to teach them will emerge within the game. Right. And so the idea that I, this is something extra I have to layer in is not really true. All it is, is this is something that I have to know is going to come up and 
and be prepared to teach it when it does. So again, it goes back to the, the sort of the how to coach skills in terms of those softer skills, uh, uh, teaching those life lessons. Exactly. I mean, to say to your team, what do we look like when we're at our best? Oh, man, we're resilient. We keep fighting. We keep going. Great. All right. Are we being resilient right now in practice? No, coach, we're not. We, we're kind of going through the motions because we can't, we can't get this. All right. Great. Come on. Let's be more resilient. Right. It, it, it can be as simple as that that attaches good outcomes to certain character traits because character drives behavior and, and behavior truly drives performance because repeated behaviors over a long time is really what accumulates into high level performance. Um, and, and so we're always shaping behavior. Yeah. I think that's, that's again, really, really practical information that people can actually use in their own coaching. Um, I think a lot of the time when people, talk about developing life skills etc through sport uh it sounds great and it's all it's true but there's now a, a really simple thing that anyone listening can probably bring into their sessions in terms of are, do we work hard do, are, are we are we a work uh, does our team work hard in a match and uh, do we do it in training etc and just by simply asking those questions i think that's that's powerful for coaches to be able to use yeah, yeah. um John, we ask everyone who comes on three questions towards the end of the podcast, okay? So um, you may have t uh, touched on some of these already, but uh, it's fine to, to, to go in again and, and maybe summarize. So what does the term successful mm -hmm. coach mean to you? Well, I, I think, you know, that that's what we've been talking about a lot, but to define it in a concise way i think if i'm working with very young kids success means they all come back next year and sign back up right that we've created a experience that they enjoy so much that they want to do more of it as i'm getting more into the high performance realm right if uh, am i helping players get to a, a place both as a human being and an athlete that they've never been to before and, and maybe wouldn't get to on their own um, and then in the long term recognizing that some of them might not appreciate it in the moment, but years later, you know, when they invite you to their wedding or they reach out to you and, you know, say, Hey coach, you know, thanks. You really did a lot for me. I didn't appreciate it then. Sometimes, you know, we don't get those paychecks for 10 or 15 years and knock on wood to this day. I, I haven't had, a former player tried to run me over at this point <laughs> driving by. And so uh, I'll, I'll say that for the most part, um, I've either okay. done okay or um, I just don't live near them anymore. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> I, I like the idea of that sort of delayed gratification. Though. I think that's, that, that's good uh, when they come back and they, they say, I didn't, I didn't know it at the time, but yeah, that, that was good for me. I mean, a lot of coaches have said that, right? Like when they're, have you had a successful season, you know, ask me in 20 years, right? And I, and I really believe that that's true. Yeah, but I still think that it's not probably common, commonplace thinking for a lot, uh, particularly those who are not as experienced. They, they maybe, I think some coaches may be a little bit short-sighted uh, in terms of what I'd like to win at under 10 or under 11 or whatever age group it may be, rather than thinking, if I can keep everybody playing up until 16, 17, 18, I'm doing these kids a good service. Mm -hmm. And if I'm a senior coach in a school, uh, you know, I, I, I work a lot with schools and 
I work with high schools and the basketball coach is saying, oh man, you know, we just don't have enough kids trying out for basketball. My question is, well, what are you doing with the coaches who are, you know, teaching the kids who are seven, eight, nine, ten? 10, how are you helping them? Because the only reason you don't have enough players is because something's wrong down there. Right. And, and so, um, you know, them cutting kids or forming all-star teams or getting rid of, you know, the quote, bad kids early on, like that kind of stuff um, is just crazy. And so I think if I'm a senior or a coach of older level kids, I can't be uninvolved in what's happening below me because that's giving me my pool of players to select from as well. Yeah. And, and I think it, it just makes sense to have that sort of connected thinking right the way through. Um, John, best book resources you'd recommend to those listening, and you are absolutely allowed to say your own books if that's what you want. So you're more than welcome to. <laughs> Don't worry, well, we'll give them a good plug towards the end, anyway. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I think for me, really influential books, and I, I think it always depends on what's your what's your rabbit hole. What what do you want to learn about, right? I think Inside Out Coaching by Joe Orman has been a, a fantastic book for me. I think Legacy about the All Blacks and rugby has been a fantastic book about culture or the culture code by Dan Coyle. Um, you know, lots of different biographies that I pulled stuff from John Wooden to Alex Ferguson to many other coaches. There's always a nugget in there somewhere, Pete Carroll. Um, and, 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 you know, I mean, what I did, you know, with my last book, Every Moment Matters, was that was three years of interviews with some of the best coaches in the world. I mean, we had two world cup winners, a uh, hundred national champions, um, you know, at three time or eight time NBA champion. Um, you know, so, so it really pulled together a lot of stuff across a lot of sports and said like, Hey, what are the commonalities that make these coaches great, both in terms of, understanding who they are being better versions of themselves coaching the right way what does it feel like to be coached by me and how do I define success and so you know I, I certainly don't think my last book is the be-all and end-all but I do think that there's a lot of good stuff in there that might lead you down a, a, another path in, in your coaching journey for sure yeah, I like that idea of um, dipping into various different. So maybe reading about culture one month and, and leadership another. And, and um, I heard someone say it before, but I can't think who it was. But being a being a master of uh, of a lot of or being a jack of all trades and a master of none sometimes can be very helpful as a coach in terms of uh, if you if you have a bit of support around you to, to specialize. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the top coaches these days, if if there's one commonality between them across all sports for the truly, truly, truly elite coaches, it's probably like curiosity, right? And and being a lifelong learner and and stretching themselves to, um, you know, bec become better. I mean, I think of you know in Ireland, I think of like Stuart Lancaster who obviously was an international coach and is coaching Leinster rugby right now. And just, you know, he's got a, a LinkedIn page and um, you know, he's done podcasts and he's done all this stuff. Like he's sharing his journey of leadership with the rest of the world. And I think that's pretty cool, you know? And, and I think that's, you know, that's what, you know, if I look at 
a Steve Kerr and have a conversation with him at the end, he's asking for resources and, 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 you know, he's asking questions like, no, I'm the guy who's asking questions here. Right. (laughs) So it's like, um, you know, the, the best of the best are, are usually the ones who, who are the thirstiest for knowledge and the ones who are the not quite there are usually the ones who are more likely to act like they know it all. And it's just a really interesting dichotomy, but it's definitely something that I, I have found over and over and over again. Okay. And this might play very well into the last question. So what are your top tips for developing coach? Um, understand your why, right? Understand your, your authentic purpose, right? What fuels you about coaching? What gives you energy and, and what, sucks the energy out of you and then you know understand what you value and and try to make sure that that stuff comes through every single day so if you value competing make sure those kids compete if you value joy make sure it's fun if you value camaraderie and and family then make sure that your your you your authentic self is is visible to those kids that you're coaching, because if you're passionate about it, they'll see that and they'll be passionate. They're more likely to be passionate about it. And so I think that's where it all starts, right? And then go on a journey and and get better and learn from people, not only within your sport, but outside of your sport and, and constantly just um, connect, 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 because if you get the relationship piece, right, right, the rest will come, but there's lots of coaches who, you know, know a lot. My here, here's my favorite quote from coaching. And it's not even about coaching. It's from the old American president, Teddy Roosevelt. He said, you know, people don't care how much, you know, till they know how much you care. And if you get that right in coaching, you're going to get a lot of other stuff, right. As well. Yeah, and John, I think that's a, a really, really good way to finish it. Uh, listen, it's been brilliant. Um, for people listening, where can they find out more about yourself, your books, uh, the Co- Changing the Game Project? Yeah, sure. So um, the the mothership is changingthegameproject.com. That's the website. You'll find links to the Way of Champions podcast there. You'll find links to our blog and stuff. You'll find links to our online courses and our and the books, you can get the books on Amazon or, or, you know, there's one called Book Depository, which ships internationally for free, Barnes and Noble, all the big bookstores, you can find the two books. Um, and obviously, you can find the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or any of the big pl- uh, podcast platforms as well. So, but if you go to changingthegameproject.com, you'll find us Um and then at CTG Project HQ is Twitter handle and Instagram and all that fun stuff that I try not to spend a lot of time on, but I <laughs> always end up doing. That's okay. No, that's brilliant. And, and we'll, uh, we, we'll tweet out a few links uh, to help people find their way as well. Uh, listen, John, it's been brilliant. Uh, so many practical things in this for listeners, as well as the, 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 the great knowledge you have. I, I really like the practical examples, like just the, like the play, the play, practice, play. If, if two kids are there, let's start off at 1v1. I think the tips on engaging parents, like even that simple thing of being able to link the training to what what they're doing in training to the game so the parents can be really engaged in the game. And my favorite one of a lot, the quote that you said, as a coach, 
you, uh, I can influence if it's a positive experience or not. And I think if if, if listeners take nothing else from today, from today, I think that's really really powerful message. And I think that's something that that everyone should be able to to build on. So thanks a million. Thank you for listening to the show. We hope you can take something from it that will help with your own coaching journey. As always, you can listen or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And you can find us on all social media channels at Bubble Coaching on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Please get in touch because we would love to hear from you. The show was produced by Niall Williams and brought to you by the Coach Education Department of the Camogie Association. Thanks again for listening. Till next time, bye.